go, guys. Welcome to Way of the Truth Warrior. My name is David Whitehead. Very happy to be here with you. Hope you enjoyed that little trailer. Chapter 5, Cult of the Medics, coming out in 10 days from this day. Today, it is Friday, November the 5th, and I'll be releasing Cult of the Medics on, it's going to be a Monday. It's November 15th, so stay tuned for that. Working real hard on it. Didn't get a lot of sleep last night. I don't know if you can tell. But uh, working hard to get this information out, and uh, we're looking at some very deep subject matter, as you can see in the upcoming chapter. I hope you go and catch up on the rest of the series. You can see all of it over at cultofthemedics.com. I put it out there for free, and I want you guys to help me share it as far and wide as you can. If it adds some value and if you resonate with the message, uh, please help out with that. But today I have a very important guest. This is a bonus show. We've done, this is the third show of the week. Uh, lots of great stuff coming out right now. And um, I really, really am excited for this. We have uh, a lovely woman from Alberta. Uh, it's actually close to where I was born. And uh, her name is Jennifer. And she continues to work as a frontline. She's actually the front frontline. Frontline advanced care paramedic. After more than 30 years in the EMS, she has served her community in multiple modalities of EMS, including ambulance, fixed wing flight, medic on, and on bicycle. She continues to strive to be an exceptional patient care advocate, and she has a lot of frontline experience with this pandemic, and we're gonna, she's going to be sharing what she encountered, and I can just tell you based on our conversations, it's nothing at all like what the Canadian media or the media around the world was saying. So loving to get her experience. I'm so glad to have her. So let's go ahead and bring her on to the show. There she is, Jennifer. Welcome to Way of the Truth Warrior. Thank you so much for doing this. I know it takes a lot of courage uh, to come out and speak the truth, but we need people like you, and I'm very happy to have you here on the show. Thank you for the invitation. So this is, uh, I want to let you tell your story and, uh, you and I have had some offline chat and you wanted to start off with your experience on the ground. And I think it's very valuable that people hear from paramedics. And I got to say, you are now the sixth paramedic that I've spoken to just local to me that has told me some very similar things. And so I'm going to let you take it away wherever you'd like to begin. Well, I have to admit that uh, when the news came out initially in March of 2020, I think all of us were the same. Uh, we were getting things from Wuhan um, and it looked dire to say the least. Uh, so I have to admit that my response was probably the same as everybody, uh, fear. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and like you said, we're front of the front lines. So whatever it is, we're heading out into it. And I have to admit, I did think, okay, I've been doing this a long time. Is this where I check out? Uh, it's always an option, right? Um, right. But I thought, you know what? It is what it is. It's what I've trained my whole life for. Why stop now? So it was interesting because the, very close to the beginning, uh, very seasoned medic, friend of mine came and showed me one of the things that had been posted online and it showed how viruses spread and it was an extrapolation. And his comment was, we're going to have 200,000 dead in Canada in the first six weeks. And I thought, oh, wow. okay, I, 
think that might be a little high, but let's just see how it goes. Um, I'd like to say I, I typically don't watch the news. Uh, when I first became a paramedic, I did. Like everybody else, you know, you got it on in the background while you're watching, you know, having your supper or whatever. Mm. But I would go to a crash or I would go to a homicide or I would go to something that apparently was newsworthy and I would watch it on the news that night. And what I would see the greatest majority of the time was they didn't have the facts. They weren't only suggesting the things that they did have. They were, in essence, making it up. So they had some of the facts, but they editorialized the rest. And so right. it didn't take very long before I realized that what showed up on the news wasn't necessarily the truth or even a depiction of the truth. And so I stopped watching the news and I haven't honestly watched it since. But of course, since Good. we were all getting news off the media, I was catching the occasional broadcast and it was definitely dire. Uh, it was a brace yourself. Here we go. Um, and so, yeah, fear. I think we all had the same initial response. Uh, we did things like increased our cleaning, uh, conversations of protocol changes and that sort of thing, because, of course, our information was coming out of China and coming out of Italy. Uh, what we were going to do, how we were going to treat it, we didn't know initially. Uh, so our medical directors were busy looking at potential changes to protocol to see if we could kind of get one step ahead uh, looking at changing cleaning protocols and all that kind of stuff. So we really braced ourselves. Um, I took extra shifts. I know a lot of other people did. They put extra people on because we were expecting an onslaught. Right. But what ended up happening because they sent everybody home and they said, you know, we're shutting everything down that isn't essential. So everybody stay home. You only get out to get the essentials. Um, it was eerie driving around the streets because even in broad daylight traffic was almost non-existent uh mm. things that normally would have been open weren't open um it actually reminded me of going up to fort mac for the fires in alberta here oh you went ago. to you went to yeah, see that did, oh my goodness i did a couple different tours because they were asking for us to volunteer to do tours up there we right. were busy looking after the the firefighters the police everybody else that was busy dealing with the fires Good and up there, you're driving around at three in the morning. And once they turned the power back on, you'd go by Tim Hortons and it would have open, you know, the open sign would be flashing. You knew it wasn't open, but everything looked open because they had left in the middle of the day. And, mm. and I actually was tempted to even go check doors. Cause I was really sure <laughs> I might be able to go in and make myself some tea or something. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> like just a self self-service here. Exactly. So it's like a, it's like yeah. a ghost town essentially. Yeah, exactly. It was, it was, it was actually really quite the experience to be up there, but this wow. seemed quite similar because at the times when we would expect a lot of traffic, there was virtually no traffic, everything was shut down. So it was very reminiscent of that for me. Um, and we waited and it, I can honestly say was the quietest time in my entire career because it's during the initial, just to, just to let people know. So this is be the first wave where this is, you were told this is, there's going to be a massive, okay. Yes. This is what they called the first wave. Okay. Yes. So during what they called the first wave, when everybody went home and watched the news to see what was happening, we were all sitting around 
doing virtually nothing because people were afraid to go to the hospitals. So people right. call us typically to be transported to the hospital. And of course we do a lot of work on scene and with patients and we don't always transport. Sometimes we treat on scene and we don't go anywhere, but a lot of people still typically think if you think you're dying, you call 911. And we do have a lot of people that are well-educated in what we do. So they call us for a lot of other things that we can intervene on. Um, but we were dead. That really. Uh, it was the quietest time that I can remember in my 30 plus years of working. And Incredible. when we did get to the hospitals, the emergency departments, empty nurses and doctors sitting around chatting, enjoying their coffee. There was, there was nothing going on now, not to say nobody had COVID because obviously right. it's a virus. It travels, people got it. Um, but people were not calling 911 very often. And when they did and they needed to go in, we were busy trying to convince people that it was in their best interest to come with us. We had people having heart attacks that were trying to refuse going to hospital because they were so afraid. Oh, wow. So, so that, so that's a, that's actually a really important thing you've just brought up there, which is there was a lot of medical care that, so the normal way that people would think about health is like you said, I'm, I'm having a chest pains. I'm going to call 911 or I'm going to go to the hospital. And because of the panic around COVID, and this is, this is going to be both on the part of the average person out there and the medical services where everybody was kind of worried about what this was. So there was a lot of people that didn't receive healthcare. Um, yes. I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to blame the hospital here. I'm just trying to say there's a, there, because of that information that everybody was given that scared everybody and it caused this panic, people that are having serious uh, health issues were not being treated, not going to the hospitals. And then those that got, thought they had symptoms, which at that point they were telling us it's the same symptoms as cold and pneumonia. If they had any of those symptoms, they're going to the hospital and friends of mine were telling me they're told to just go home. They weren't treated, yes. nothing was done. So people just felt more and more like, well, I'll just stay home and watch the news, which isn't very good for your health either. But so, right. so when, when you're picking up, you're on the front, front line paramedics and what are the, since then, and throughout that, are you going and picking up COVID patients or what's this, what's the majority of cases that you're dealing with here? Is it heart attack? I've been told it's heart attacks, suicides, overdoses, these kinds of things. What kind of cases were you actually this entire time dealing with the most? So initially in what they were calling the first wave, we did almost nothing because people weren't going out doing the things that they were normally doing. So the people that okay. were, would go quadding, you know, weren't having quad accidents because a lot of them were sitting at home doing nothing because right. they were told to stay at home. So a lot of the things, and when you think about, there were no children in school, there were no, there was no theater, there was no movies, there was, there was nothing, right? Everybody just stayed home. So all of the things that people were normally out doing, they weren't doing, and all of the, and I, I, keep, I know I keep using the word all, but the greater majority of the traumas that we would see from team sports, from school activities, all that kind of stuff, everything kind of ground to a halt. So 
it wasn't that we weren't getting calls. It's just our call volume dropped dramatically. And wow. then what we were getting was things that people felt were incredibly serious, serious enough to call us. And then we were, so at that time we were still seeing the same things that we see. We were still seeing heart attacks and people falling in their homes. And so it wasn't that we were getting different calls. It was that people would fall and get up and not call us because they didn't want to go to the hospital. So there were people that were suffering from, let's say, you know, severe arthritis that might call us for pain management and to go into the hospital because they just were no longer coping with their life. And, you know, arthritis is just one thing. But if you think of all the things that people call us for, which is, I mean, people were still having babies, right? That doesn't stop. Yeah. Um, so all of those things that were necessities were still continuing on, but everything else ground to a halt. So we were still getting calls. We just had our call volume, though, drop to almost nothing. Um, and that, like I say, was when we went into the merge departments, uh, when I talked to crews at other stations, everybody was way quieter than we've ever been. And so that, and that's, that's again, what I've been getting told by so many. Um, and this then completely contradicts what the Canadian media will just speak from Canadian perspective here was telling people at that time, they're basically saying every day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, that the sky is falling. The only concern this planet has right now, or this country has right now is this virus. And, um, you know, look at the toll. So from your experience, um, would you say that the lockdown measures have caused harm to people that otherwise wouldn't have been harmed basically like that the actual lockdown the the act of locking down and then and all these other measures um whether done you know most people just following the chain of command the whole thing but here we are that caused uh, and many people i've had on the show have looked at the data and the stats and they're they have a feeling that they've caused more harm than good what do you say to that that would be my visualization on the scenario as well um because what we did see when when the panic maybe maybe in my estimation the best way to say it when the panic couldn't be sustained anymore and people decided to start stepping out and doing things we saw an increase in suicides dramatically um Mm. we saw an increase in abuse and i mean we don't always overtly see that because people don't want to talk about it. But yeah, I think the psychological toll on every age group, including our seniors, and I think our seniors may be impacted more than any other age group because they locked them all down. And what I was seeing was we were going into nursing homes and I was seeing everybody doing their absolute best to follow all the PPE guidelines, you know, outside every door in the nursing homes were those little Rubbermaid stacking things where you can put um, the gowns and the masks and this hand sanitizer and everything. And I would watch the staff 
stop at the door, sanitize, put on all the PPE, go in, do what they needed, come out, take everything off, hand sanitize, do all of the PPE things. And yet that facility had a full COVID breakout, you know, like they were in lockdown because it just kept traveling from room to room. Um, and so these people were locked down hard, even people that were mentally 100% and living in lodges or the kind of facilities where normally they have freedom to come and go. A lot of them, well, not a lot of them, but certainly a number of them still drive. They still have people coming and going and that sort of thing. All of them were locked down so hard that they weren't allowed to have people coming in. Um, they were a lot for a lot of the time, they were literally in their rooms. They at times were brought meals on trays. They didn't even congregate in the, the break rooms or the lunch rooms. They weren't allowed to. And then they had people coming in two and three times a day, sanitizing common surfaces. And so they saw their the caregivers, but they didn't see anybody else. And I saw I have seen again and again and again the toll on those people that were locked down, the mental toll, which then turned into the physical toll because they weren't even allowed to walk the hallways where they lived. So, oh my God. Um, I mean, I have seniors in my life and the muscle mass they've lost, the ability to keep their balance properly because they spent most of their time sitting for months and months. And a dear aunt of ours, she kept referring to her lodge where she lives as her prison and her caregivers as her jailers and um, oh, she so says food, you know, the food quality dropped dramatically because they were trying to social distance them. And yeah, the, the toll on our seniors, I think is probably the absolute worst, but then you take our young who were supposed to be in school and interacting with friends and family and playing. And I mean, they locked down playgrounds. And oh, I know. I know. It's just I took my kids out, and we'd walk by. We went to now. I live on the island in BC, and you know, you go to these provincial parks, and then there's always these playgrounds there, right? And we would go and think, okay, well, we can at least go to the beaches because at that time you couldn't go anywhere else. And we'd go out, and then you'd walk, and they'd have like police tape line, precaution tape wrapped all the way around it, signs everywhere, don't come. And my daughter standing there looking at it, like, why can't we play on the playground? I'm like, because the world just went crazy. Like, I don't, this is insanity. <laughs> and uh, then the masking of children, like, this is now in BC. I don't know where it's at in Alberta, but um, in BC, they're saying, okay, now five to 11 year olds, they must wear masks everywhere. And no regard. I've had experts on talking about the psychological toll on children, the fact that they're at a developmental age group. They're developing very important brain cells and, and all kinds of stuff. And even, you know, just wearing that mask, what does that do to them? You know, the in inhalation of their own CO2 and, and microbacteria right. and, uh, you know, the, the slow suffocation of having these kids wear these things all day. I was out with my girls for doing some Halloween and I saw this poor kid, he's wearing this massive gorilla costume that's probably just baking. And his dad has a mask and a face shield on this kid. The kid's probably eight years old. And I'm like, what, what are we doing? The media did this. We know that. We've got, we know the studies. So sorry, I'm going on a rant. But when it comes to the elderly and the kids and 
like the vulnerable that's, and isn't that what you, maybe you should say a little bit about why you do what you do. We had an amazing chat the other day, Jennifer, and I just saw that you have that heart. You really want to help. You got into this for the right reasons as so many of our frontline workers and the people, the nurses and doctors, they get into it, but the system is a, is a bit of a problem. And then, um, the fact that here you are a trained veteran paramedic and if you come out and say these things, you must get all kinds of flack because it's as if you're going against this new dogma that just can't be, but you're sharing your own personal experience. So what was that? Like you got, why did you get into this field? Was it, you just felt this is my role. I'm a caregiver. This is what I'm doing. And, and people used to cheer for you guys. It was like, yes, let, this is what we need. You're the saviors. And now with all these mandates and, and a lot of healthcare workers not going along with these things, it's as if people are just ca casting you guys aside. I mean, that must be quite a, quite a slap in the face, you know? Well, we work for a large organization, right? And they're, it's, it's probably like any large organization where they have mandates, they have a responsibility to work to the lowest common denominator, right? Yeah. And they have a responsibility to keep the public safe. So, yeah, I, I certainly have my opinions on what works and what doesn't work. Um, right. Dr. Simone Gold, who's also a lawyer, uh, gave the analogy. She said, trying to stop COVID with the blue masks that everybody's wearing, she said, scientifically speaking, and I quote her, is like throwing a handful of sand at a chain link fence and asking the fence to stop the sand. That's, right. that's her categorization of the effectiveness of the masks. But because it's the mandate, if nothing else, we have to be seen as doing everything possible to try and protect everybody, right? The vulnerable right. And, yeah. and all of that. So do we do what we can? Yes. Is it effective? I guess if it were effective, I would question why it's continued to spread despite lockdowns and all of those sorts of things. But and we have so many examples. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say we yeah. have so many examples of places like a Florida, Texas, Sweden, all these places that didn't do right. this. There's nothing. Right. There's NASCAR events. There's baseball games. And it's been going on for months and months and months. And I don't know, are people tripping over bodies over there in Florida and Texas? Like, I haven't heard about that. So um, never mind the science. I mean, I had uh, Professor Denis Rancourt come on the show and he wrote a, a study on, he did a study with some other experts on masks at the very beginning. He put it up on ResearchGate. It got something like 400,000 downloads and then they pulled the study, even though it was right. very, it was the scientific method was present. Everything was there. They basically proved that um, gen universal masking of healthy people is not anything. It's just for show. And then we've even got admissions from Fauci and other people saying exactly like, well, it's for basically admitting it's for show and then changing their story later on. So it's been it's been quite a quite an interesting, freaky ride. And I'm sure for people like yourself oh, working yeah. in the industry, you're probably sitting there going, why are we changing you know, all the years of how we've known how to deal with these things overnight. It's like science has been changed. Protocols have been changed. Did you have anything to say about how you must have felt noticing that all of a sudden everything you've been trained with is just out the window and there's this new science that's brought in? Well, and, and I think, you know, as 
a paramedic and, and all first responders, and obviously this isn't just first responders, the greatest portion of our job is, is critical thinking. So it doesn't matter if we just got the call, we're responding to the call, we constantly use critical thinking and we decide what other resources we need. We decide where we're parking on a scene. We decide how we're getting someone out of a home or a vehicle. We decide what is actually wrong with them, how we're going to treat them, where we're going to take them. Like every facet of what we do is critical thinking. And you're right, we've got, let's say, 100 years of science of how we deal with viruses and bacteria. And certainly it just keeps changing. You know, like I, we could quote, we could sit here and compare scientists that are saying, you know, the mask is effective. And then we could quote a whole other group of scientists and occupational health and safety that says they're not working. So, so who do you look to? Who do you believe? I mean, because I'm employed, I follow the mandates of my employer, but yeah, there's, there's so much science. And then like you say, science, there's the science that we've had for the hundred years prior to this. And then it's changed so many times. And I'm not saying it's changed so many times at my workplace, but if you're looking at mainstream media, the scientists there are saying, Oh, this is absolutely what we need to do. This is what's going to work. And then even their scientists, like you say, Fauci comes out and says, no, the, the, the general populace doesn't need to mask. There's no value to it. And then two or three weeks later, he's coming out saying the exact opposite. So yeah. and, and now and it's, it's two masks or three masks or however exactly. many masks. And so it's scientist after scientist, even on mainstream media. And then once you step off mainstream media and you start looking at well-credentialed scientists, pulmonologists, um, anesthesiologists, like top of the food chain, medical people, and it's so easy to find ones that are saying, yeah, masking doesn't work. So, I mean, I'll continue to follow the policies of my employer um, out yeah. of respect yeah. for what, you know, their job is and then my job is. And I will continue to respect the people who might have a different viewpoint of it than I do. Um, and we do need to protect the vulnerable. The question is what really is protecting the vulnerable and in certain instances like lockdowns, are we causing more harm than we are good? And I think because of the significant increase that we've had in suicides and mental health issues, like incredible increase. And one of the populations that I've seen the greatest increase in mental health issues is young adults. Like yes. even from 12 yeah. to 20, um, dramatic increase in mental health issues, suicides, just struggling to deal sad. with the world. So yeah. yeah, I've definitely seen that for sure. So that said then, um, you had a you had a note here about lack of open debate. So isn't that the scientific process then? If you have uh, two groups of scientists, right? And the world, the whole planet is divided almost like right down the middle where everybody's like, we're going with these guys. And then our side is saying, no, we're going with these guys. Um, 
the way to settle this is through debate. That's usually right. how we did it because without proper civil discourse or scientific discourse, it turns into what it's turning into right now, which is now right. this is dividing families. This is dividing friendships. This is dividing people who've had, I've spoken to people who've literally had friendships for 30, 40 years that are just yeah. out the way, they're out the way because of this issue, a way to stop that division, uh, which only benefits, uh, you know, who, and not us, uh, is to have scientific debate and discourse. So my, right. I, I've been always kind of jokingly advocated for like, uh, we need to get like a big you know, boxing ring and put some chairs and have some judges and have a pay-per-view event or something and have, you know, Fauci go against Dr. Peter McCullough or, right. you know, have these different things and just get it, just get these issues on the table and then get the, let the best evidence win. Let the truth win. What is the truth? What is the truth? Right. Who cares about what anybody says, science is not supposed to be about opinions. It's supposed to be about right. finding what the truth is. So what's your, what's your feeling on this idea of open debate that we need? It's been entirely lacking. Um, if yeah. you're only watching mainstream media, and I don't, as I said, uh, but I do occasionally when I'm at work, it'll be on. And I'm watching what's going across the screen. One, one particular day, uh, our, the beginning of our shift wasn't busy. So every half hour, it's a different news broadcast. And they all had the same thing. And I mean, we're in Canada, I'm in Alberta, and they're showing some guy in a full containment suit with a mask on. Um, he's wheeling a body in a body bag. And I'm thinking, where in the world is this happening? Like, this isn't how we deal with bodies here to begin with. And if if this really were a pandemic, we would have started seeing a body count back in probably January. Um, when it all started, I started doing my own informal poll, which obviously has no scientific merit whatsoever. But everybody that I ran into, I said, hey, you know, what? have you guys been sick lately? And consistently people would say, oh, last December, I was more sick than I have ever been in my entire life. Me and my whole family got it, um, or January or February. For us, it was February. Uh, the Are you talking in, 20, in 2020? In yeah. 2020, um, it ran through and it was classic COVID symptoms. So by the time it hit the news, I'm like, wait a sec, that's just what we came in contact with. Um, so that's when I got it. Sorry to jump in, Jen. That's yeah. when I got it with my family, February, 2020. I had been going back right. and forth to Los Angeles. I came back and then we had, and I mean, I gotta be honest, I've had worse. I, I went through Norwalk and all that other stuff, but yeah. it was a, it was a decent flu cold. I would, you know, but my wife lover, um, her mom, you know, she comes from Slovenia, old school, and she, she just made a steam bowl with eucalyptus in it, yeah. put a towel over my head. I breathed it in. I did like three 15-minute rounds of that. And the next day, everything was starting to clear up, and I was already on the mend. So that's how we dealt with it. We didn't go to the hospitals. But yes, yeah, something out of the ordinary that was, it kind of just went through really quickly. February 2020, I, that's what happened with me. Right. And by the time that they were announcing it in March and getting everything ramped up for testing and all of that, it had already been here. Um, talk to somebody who had gone to a Chinese New Year, which would have been January 25th, 2020. And right after, like three days later, got sick. Well, Chinese New Year, right? China. Um, yeah. 
so it all falls in line with that we weren't getting it in March. We already had it in March. And if it really were as virulent and as deadly um, as the anticipation was, we would have already had a body count by probably December of 2019. And, and it would have been a drastic was- increase, right? It would have been like, like when you look at all cause mortality right now, it's not really showing that there was a massive pandemic at all, you know? Right, right. Yeah, all cause mortality plunks us in a flu season, you know. Right. Um, but what what would have happened, I think, would have been we would have noticed a body count starting in January of 2020 that somebody would have gone, wait a second, what's what's going on here? Mm. Um, and by February of 2020, the body count would have been stacking up. And had we had the body count that mainstream media was predicting, we as EMS would never have been able to keep up with it. It literally would have been that all the units were tied up dealing with people dead and dying, and they would have just started logging your address and they would have come and collected your body at some point. You know, like that's that's what a real pandemic is, right? That's what overwhelms the system. And not to suggest that there haven't been people with COVID, that people aren't getting sick, that people don't need to go to the hospital or need to seek treatment, potentially need ICU at some point. Obviously, that's our reality. But if this were an actual pandemic, we would have been overwhelmed consistently. And really, our overwhelm on the street has been with overdoses and suicides and psychiatric. And we're still dealing with all the things that we deal with otherwise now that people have I think gotten fatigued with fear and gone back to their lives and they are out hunting and quadding and doing all the things that they had missed. And so we're back to the usual stuff and motor vehicle collisions and all the sorts of stuff. And you're not, so during that process of everybody kind of going back to their normal, um, you're not seeing a change in those numbers. You're not seeing like a jump because the way the media and the health officials in Canada and everywhere else are projecting it is, well, and like Bonnie Henry here in BC comes out all the time. is like, well, we got an uptick over here because of this. So we got to do the masks now, or we got to do this over here. We got to, and it's like, but where are you getting that data? Like, show us the actual, you're just talking. We're not seeing the evidence. So from somebody on the front line, you're basically saying that um, you haven't, seen an increase since people started going back to regular activities. You've seen an increase in the normal stuff. You know, every year we have the flu. Every year we're inundated with the flu. Every October, November, December, January, we were full. Where ICUs emerge is backed up. This is an annual thing. Every year CCU is full, ICU is full um, because the flu takes out people every year and every year there's the 18 year old that died from the flu that everybody's going like, well, that's odd. You know, Um, there's a five-year-old every year that dies of the flu. So every year we, we have people dying of the flu, getting sick with the flu. And so that in itself isn't new and ICU being full, ICU is always full and then it's not full and then it's full and then it's not full. And if it's not from, there was a bus crash and they've got three people from the bus crash or, 
I mean, ICU always has a ton of reasons to be full. It's one of the smaller departments and it's at the top of the funnel. So everybody that everybody else can't deal with ends up in ICU and there's kidney failure. That's a reason to be in ICU. You know, like there's so many reasons to be in ICU. Mm. Um, the majority of which have, well, not, not even the majority, but quite often they can need intubation or airway assistance, that sort of thing. Those ICU is one of the places where they Can you still hear me, Jennifer? You just dropped out for a second there. Oh, there yeah. you go. You're back. Okay, okay. You're back. Sorry. Go ahead. You were just saying okay. about the ICU. Yeah. And even during the pandemic at times, like as EMS, we go everywhere, right? Nothing is close to us. I go through security at the airport. They just nod, you know, because I'm there with yeah. all my gear. They've, they've called us. Like we get to go everywhere. I can go into the prisons. I can... I've been into the offices of the MLAs at the legislature buildings. Like right. nobody stops us. I can, I can go anywhere because we get called everywhere. And when we're called, people want us. So um, <laughs> That's right. we do go to ICU. I, we go to the COVID wards. We, we go everywhere. So um, April of 2020, I ended up in ICU dropping off a patient who was not COVID. And at that point in time, they had empty beds, not all of them by any stretch, but they had some empty beds. And I had six staff helping me move my patient over. And I'm kind of like, this is unusual. I had three people taking my report and I said, I just have to say, this is a little odd to have all of you here. And they just said, oh, we're, we're bored. Now the next day they may have been overrun Right. Right. So I'm not saying that ICU is always bored because they're not, but they fluctuate just like EMS fluctuates, just like Emerge fluctuates. And the whole system is designed to surge and to wane. And that's why we pay all those people under Verna U, you know, or or the management people, the big money to manage the bed count and the staff and all that kind of stuff. So for people to think that ICU was plugged and, you know, it's, it's always up and down and every flu season it gets plugged and there's other times of the year it's plugged and they have to create new beds and they have to bring in more staff. And so it's constantly up and down. And I think people think that it's a fairly static thing, but it's not, it's dynamic and it changes all the time. And that just makes so much sense, Jennifer, like that, that makes sense. People die more at certain times to certain things. It's, it's something that's unpredictable. And also would it be fair to say that in a lot of sectors, a lot of hospitals, there's also a staffing issue at times because I had a, an email from a nurse in Ontario. She was a nurse 25 years. And she, she told me that um, one of the biggest lies she couldn't stand from the media was that all the hospitals are overrun and the ICUs are overrun because of COVID. She's like, that's not what we're seeing. If there's any kind of overrun at a certain time where it's, it's, it's an uptick of, of a bunch of things, not just COVID. Remember people die of other things too, shockingly. And, uh, that there's an issue in certain hospitals with staffing issues, which is why, so if you only have three nurses in a ward, 
you have to close off the other half of the ward because they can't address those patients. So therefore, then it then, they, then the media can come on and go, look, you know, they're overflowing. It's like, well, yeah, but they're only at half capacity because they don't have enough staff to address the patients. It's not just because there's this massive pandemic going on, right? I, I don't think I'm the best person to speak to that because, of course, okay. I don't work in the hospital. Right. But okay. I've heard some of the same things. That yeah. It, yeah, that's it, just somebody a yeah. staffing issue. But again, that's not my wheelhouse. So, okay. yeah. Appreciate that. What do you think about the lack of early treatment? Because this was another oh, thing you talked about. And, and you know, from, yeah. So from my take, I look at the media and a, the first thing that alarmed belled me was they were basically saying, hide under your bed until we have a vaccine. <laughs> and I'm like, well, shouldn't you give people something in the meantime? Like, okay, there are some other things you could do. Like I, I did a eucalyptus steam bowl and I took some vitamin C, D and zinc and I made sure I, afterwards I slowly got back into some good exercise and I watched my sleeping patterns and I changed my diet a little bit so that it was making sure I was getting a lot of those micronutrients and all the things that I need to make sure that my immune system is humming at a, an, a peak performance level. Where was that information in the media? Where was that information from our health officials? Where was that? So if they really care so much, why didn't they give us a bunch of options? At least they could have at least said, look, we're gonna, you got to get the vaccine. It's the only way. But in the meantime, you could do this. We got all these therapeutics. So right. you tell me, what do you think about that? Well, what I saw was something that I don't believe has ever happened in the history of the medical establishment in the last hundred years. And that is go home. I've, mm. I've never, never heard that. I don't ever remember hearing that. That's nothing of our training. Um, yeah, blows my mind um, that they shut down doctor's offices. I, I, I guess I shouldn't say that they shut down doctor's offices. A lot of doctors shut their own offices and said, yeah. you know, we're so worried about having the virus come in and having our patients spread it to our other patients that we're just going to close the office. And eventually a lot of them went to remote, but really it was, it was, if you think you have COVID go home and absolutely blew my mind. Uh, nothing that I can think of in the history of medicine has ever been treated that way. Nothing. Incredible. So are there early treatments? There's always early treatments because if you have actually my husband, I have to say he had the, the greatest thing. He said, it's like telling somebody, oh, you're overweight, but you want to come to the gym. We'll go lose some weight and then you can come to the gym. Right. Like, <laughs> That's, good it doesn't make That's so true. Sense, right. And, and you just be like, well, no, 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 no. Isn't the gym for losing weight? Isn't it for exactly. getting healthy? Well, what they did was they denied that there was anything that could be done as an early treatment and just said, everybody stay home until you can't breathe or you think you're dying and then call 911 or get to the hospital. And that's what we saw. We saw a progression in the people that were calling us that they were severe by the time we got there. And yeah, I kept thinking even when we were there, like people were so afraid to call us even when they thought they were dying, they waited until the last possible minute and it just doesn't give us much to work with, you know? Yeah. So, and then what was hard for me too, is that I'm a proponent of natural treatments. Like you were saying, vitamin D, vitamin C, 
Um, and then I started hearing about ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine and, and these other possible things, vitamin D, it's huge. Um, IV treatments, there, there really were naturopaths and there were some doctors that were standing up and saying, hey, hey, let's not you know run away and send people home. Let's improve overall health to give people a fighting chance so that when they get it, they can fight it off. Right, um, yeah. And then there were doctors that were treating with hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin and they were having really good results and they were posting and then they were getting censored. So you'd see a post of a doctor saying, hey, I've treated 40 patients with ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine and none of them have had to go to the hospital. And then you would go back to look for their post and it would be magically disappeared. Um, so that was happening across the board. I mean, even now, if you go on Facebook and you say anything against anything, you could even post. I know people that have posted their own personal experience. They haven't said one way or another that they're pro-vax, anti-vax, pro this treatment, that treatment, just this is my experience and they've been scrubbed. So no open debate, like you've mentioned, which mm. you're right, because the doctors that are standing up and saying, hey, we are doing early treatment, get scrubbed. So not only is there no open debate, but the censorship is monumental. Um, and so when I had family members or friends that I knew that were sick with COVID and they used alternate treatments, they were very effective. I know very few people who even had to go to the hospital, never mind needed hospital intervention or had to go to ICU. And I'm confident that if there was more of a focus on how can you, what can you do to affect health, not to try and run away from disease, but to try and increase health. Mm. Um, but that's, so that's part of the problem is there's this massive division between Western medicine and everything else. And right. there's a whole other stream of health and Western medicine is starting to kind of open up to the possibility of, oh, well, gee, maybe a chiropractor would help this. Uh, maybe physiotherapy would be good. And obviously Western medicine isn't against physiotherapy, isn't against chiropractic health, um, but they're very defined in what they see as acceptable and unacceptable. And if it happens to be in the unacceptable category, most doctors shy away from it because they don't want to get their fingers slapped, even if it may be effective. Um, so that's what I see is I see that there's two streams, let's say, and one has very, well, very sharply defined borders as to what's acceptable and what's unacceptable. And if it's in the unacceptable category, they're not even willing to look at it. And really one of the things that I hope that comes out of all of this is that there's a lot out there that just because nobody can make money on it, you know, it can't be, uh, the pharmaceutical companies can't make money on it, um, but that there is good science for, and that we have years of knowledge and wisdom um, that we can start to break some of those barriers down and say that, well, okay, this is in the natural realm. 
but it has value. And just right. because somebody can't make a lot of money on it. Um, unfortunately, a couple friends of mine were struggling with COVID and it just, they just seemed to not be kicking it. It just was hanging on and hanging on. And I thought, you know, if I could get them into a natural clinic somewhere, a naturopath clinic, and maybe vitamin C IV or ozone or something. So I started calling clinics in their area, naturopath clinics, and saying, hey, I've got these friends that are struggling with COVID. You know, I'd like to get them in. And they're like, well, they can't come in. We can't see them. And, and I'm quoting, they said, when they're better and they're symptom free, then they can come in and we can help them. And I said, I, I'm sorry, let me get this straight. So you can't treat them when they're sick, but when they're better, they can come in and you can help them. And I mean, I was talking to the receptionist and she was lovely and I knew it wasn't her fault. So I tried to be as kind as possible. And she said, yeah, she said, well, you know, we have people here that have compromised immune systems. And so we can't possibly expose them to COVID. And anyway, so I got a hold of a guy here who runs naturopathic clinic wow. as well. And I said, please explain to me what's going on. That sick people can't come in to get treated. But once you're not sick, then you can come in. And he said, the, the province has mandated that we're not allowed to treat anybody with COVID. So, oh, so they're worried about getting shut down. That's the tr that's probably the real reason, eh? Exactly. Exactly. So if they got caught treating anyone with COVID, they could get shut down. I but it's just that. COVID. So if you have any other, you could have hepatitis. You could have... Mm. I mean, I could list so many other contagious things. Staph infection. Yeah. 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 I mean, you could go to a naturopath clinic and get treated, but not COVID. So anything but COVID, you can go in and they'll help you, but you can't treat COVID. So it's then you start thinking, well, why COVID? Why is this the magic thing that nobody's allowed to touch? And then I realized, well, if there's no early treatment available, then they're allowed to mandate a vaccine. Hmm. And the only way that they're allowed to bring in an experimental vaccine that hasn't been really properly tested and hasn't gone through the usual rigors is if it's an emergency mandate. And the only way that it fits even under the emergency mandate is if there's no early treatment, no effective early treatment. But we weren't even trying early treatment. So how do we know what's effective unless we try and then there's the doctors that were giving hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. And then you even have the naturopath clinic down in the US. And he said they were going into the parking lot and treating people in the parking lot because they had the same mandate. They weren't allowed to have people in their clinic to treat. So he said, we in I think he's like saying September, October, November, we're starting IVs and giving vitamin C therapy, uh, hydrogen peroxide nebulizers, ozone injections. He said people were hanging their butts out of their vehicles to get oh ozone gosh. injections, <laughs> putting their hands outside their windows to get oh IVs gosh. for vitamin C treatments. And so he said, but of all the treat people they treated and they treated many, he said, none of them had to go to hospital. Incredible. Yeah. yeah so, 
but they're not allowed to treat in there. So to me, this, this is a crime. Uh, the fact that they withheld early treatment, how many people could have we sa- could we have saved, um, on, on so many fronts had the policy of early treatment, even if it's experimental, I mean, if they're okay with an experimental shot, right. Then why not work with these therapeutic drugs that have been on the market for 40, 50, 60 years with great safety records. I mean, you can practically right. buy this stuff over the counter, um, yeah. in places. And now I'm hearing, hearing friends of mine in Canada that are trying to get ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, some of these other stacks that people are coming up with, and they're having trouble getting, they're having trouble actually getting their hands on it. And so not only are they censoring doctors who ha- who are, some of these doctors are the highest credentialed experts in the world. Like Dr. Peter McCullough in the US, not only has he written more scientific studies and, and journals than any other doctor in the US, he's written mm-hmm. more than anybody in world history, okay? Right. And you got in Dr. Byron Bridal, he's an immunologist. We got, doc, like I could go on and on, Dr. Robert Malone, the inventor of mRNA technology coming out with his opinions on this and none of them are to be heard. Joe Rogan comes out and he's like, hey guys, I took uh, Dr. McCullough's thing and I'm good. And the, yeah. what, the whole world doesn't go, oh my God, Joe Rogan and, and Dr. Peter McCullough, they found another way. We don't need to wait on this. We don't need to risk uh, an experimental shot or whatever. We, we can go with this. And instead they just get censored, shut down. And like you said, and so that to me, that's just, I smell a rat. I'm sorry. Call me paranoid, but something's off. Well, and I've seen ivermectin turn serious COVID around in 24 hours, personally. Really? Wow. From, from being on a breathing machine, like having air forced in at the highest percentage that they had available to, uh, off the breathing machine entirely the next day, 24 hours, massive. Wow. Yeah. And that's a family member that that happened to. So, and that was ivermectin. So now does it work like that all the time? No, because again, it's like saying, well, vitamin C will cure any cold you have. Well, no, will it help? Sure. Um, It's like saying vitamin D is excellent and um, will help whatever. Well, it's true. Vitamin D is, is incredibly important. So is B12. So is you know, zinc. So there's, there's so many things, but it's not true that the same thing is going to work the same way for everybody because we're all in different stages of health or disease. Um, and what, what we eat is incredibly important, right? How we feed our bodies makes a massive difference. Um, so the healthier you are, uh, when I came in contact with COVID the first time in February of 2020, we had had a big family gathering. And of course this was before it hit the media big and lockdowns and all that kind of stuff. And so me and my extended family, um, which is rather large, got together and quite a few of them were very symptomatic, um, having to take time off work. My sister took a week off. Um, she was sick for probably 12 days had to take time off work uh didn't need hospital or doctor intervention but she was really sick and Mm. i had no symptoms so you ask why is that well it's partly because i work really hard at staying healthy um physically active 
I do a lot of research into supplements and which ones I think are more effective. I listen to my body. I try and get enough sleep, which is sometimes hard with shift work, but, uh, oh, I can imagine. Well, and you work on the front lines, Jennifer, you're in front of patients all the time. I mean, I worked yeah. in a fitness facility my whole life, dojos. I've got kids sweating and snotting all over me all the time. I got <laughs> blood, sweat and tears all over the place. And, uh, you know, so my immune system has always been pretty good because I'm yeah. constantly exposed. Um, and so you, you know, you're right there and you mentioned this on our call. Yeah. You're there. You're, you've been, you and all the people you work with, you're in front of these patients all of the time. Yes. Um, and you've been so for the past two years, you've been the saviors that everybody's been waiting for. And, uh, so it's just interesting that now they're not even taking that into consideration, you know? Well, and really one of the things that I stand by is that if this were a pandemic, um, in the true sense of the word, and I mean, cause really every year the flu is a pandemic. We have a pandemic of the flu every year. Um, but if this were what the media was trying to portray it as, then there would be police, EMS, fire, and all the other people that work in essential services would have been dropping. And that's right. In the area that I work, I don't know any EMS workers that have died where the primary cause was COVID. I also don't know any fire. I don't know any police. Um, now, is it possible that I've missed them? Sure. But I'd like to ask you, David, what happens in your area when a frontline worker, police, fire, EMS, RCMP, um, dies in service, like in the line of duty? We have memorial services. There's, 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 you know, newspaper articles about it. There's stories about it. There's fire trucks draped in black yep. going down the streets with us standing at attention. Like you don't miss it, right? They shut down streets for the funeral procession. There's yep. been none of that. And, and so had we been dying in the line of duty because of COVID, that's what you would have seen. That's what would have been on the news. And exactly. we haven't had any of that. Um, at least not that I've seen. As, as I say, I mean, it's possible I've missed it, but they do tend to be rather large media events and we don't tend to miss them. So if that were going to be, and again, we were in the beginning, let's say, let's say March was really when it happened. Although February, January. Probably earlier, yeah people getting well we weren't wearing masks we weren't wearing gowns we were just doing our usual so we were out there in it and even ever since we go into houses all the time and people are like oh yeah you know you're here for grandpa uh we've all tested positive for covid and i'll say so how you know okay we'll we'll take care of grandpa here how are you guys all doing and they, they usually now obviously i ask all the time and yep. usually the answer is, yeah, we were sick. Yeah, you know, we were down for a couple of days as the kids are running laps around the house. Right? right? Exactly. You'd be like, so you didn't, you're clearly standing. You, if it was really serious, they would have been telling you. Yeah, yeah. And obviously there are people that are dying. I'm not denying yeah, no, that of course. there are people that have died. But again, then I go back to if we had done what we have done with every other illness, 
how many could we have saved? How many could have not gotten to the ICU, not needed the ICU, maybe not even needed eMERGE, maybe not needed going to hospital at all. So that's where my frustration lies is the fact that there's seemingly been no attempt at early treatment whatsoever. Uh, it really has in the, in the public and mainstream media, it has been, if you think you have COVID, go home. And nothing else in the history of medicine that I can recall has been like that. And, and so I struggle with that because of course the people that are in my circle, I was promoting good health. What, what are the things that you can do, even if it's hydration, right? How important is drinking water? So yeah. getting or mindset. Sleep. What about, what about even Absolutely. just the fact that everybody's in a state of latent anxiety 24 yes. seven now, yeah. does that contribute to heart problems and breathing Always. problems, anxiety, Always. panic attacks, you know? Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's, I've actually uh, picked up people that thought they might be COVID, which is fair, right? You, you've got symptoms, you're worried. It's in the media. Uh, one dear lady was elderly and she was in her home and it was one o'clock in the morning and she was sitting there with the news on and she was watching the COVID coverage and she had some symptoms for sure. And she was very upset. And I said, okay, so the first thing we're going to do is turn off the TV. And <laughs> that's, a, yeah, that's need, a good medical advice. Listen up people. You need to turn this off. And this needs to, this needs to stop. And so we assessed her. She was doing fine other than her blood pressure was high. So was her blood pressure high because she had COVID, which in the end, I believe I heard she did not, but I mean, she may have, which was fine. Was her blood pressure high because she was sick? Well, partly. Was it higher because she was sitting at, at one o'clock in the morning watching the COVID coverage on the news? And I know that they, I heard later that they just managed her blood pressure and she was able to go home because she didn't require any other intervention at that point. And so I'm confident that, and, and it was kind of cute because she said, oh, you're going to have to wake up my husband. He's going to be mad because I'm going to the hospital because I was up watching TV. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh my God. That's incredible. So, so, and you've, you've probably seen that now. We would talk about the flu season just really quick. Um, what's your thoughts on where the flu went in terms of the data? I mean, I've seen the data and it's as if all of a sudden COVID replaced the flu. And it's not like we had flu at the normal, whatever, how many, what the normal numbers are in Calgary or in, in Canada. Um, and then plus COVID, it right. seemed like the numbers were fairly similar. And then the, the flu is basically unheard of now. Uh, right. What do you think about that? Um, I think they stopped testing for it. Uh, if they don't so. test for it, then it doesn't exist. Doesn't exist. Um, because I had a coworker say, just kind of speculating out loud said, you know, isn't it odd that we haven't had the flu this year, right? That we haven't dealt with the flu this year. And I looked at her and I said, well, okay, so all of the patients that had flu symptoms that you took to the hospital that tested negative for COVID, what were they? And she kind of went, oh, like, <laughs> mm. right? Because if you have flu symptoms, but you don't have COVID, you have the flu. Right. 
right? And so we had lots of people that had flu symptoms that we transported that, or that we helped at home and left at home and they tested and they tested negative. Well, then by proxy, that's still the flu. Whether you call it influenza A or influenza B, doesn't matter, it's still the flu. So did it exist? Yes. Did we see it? Yes. Were we still seeing it in the numbers we normally do? Yes. Just some of them were getting called COVID and some of them weren't getting called COVID, but it was still the flu, but it wasn't hitting the media. According to the media, we had no flu, but I was finding patients with the flu. So I'm not sure where it officially went, Hmm. but I was- So the data- the data is the issue then whatever data they're telling us is the issue. Um, I feel free to go on on any of the points we may have missed here because I want to make sure you get everything out you wanted to. You had mentioned to me um, that you had some experience with people that you know that took this shot. And I don't know if you want to get into that in this interview or not or, or anything or is there anything about that that you feel comfortable saying? Um. Just that, once again, um, what I've been seeing is the censorship is leading the way um, in that the sites that are, or the people that are standing up and saying, I got vaxxed and I had this massive reaction um, are getting censored. So if we were allowing open debate if we were interested in hearing about people's experiences again they're anecdotal right so if i stand up and say i got the shot and i'm paralyzed from the waist down or i had an anaphylaxis or i had a sore arm it's anecdotal it doesn't mean everyone else is going to have the same thing right but if people are willing to put themselves out there and say hey this was my experience why would we not be willing to listen to that Yet, it doesn't matter if you put it on Facebook or YouTube, It's they're all getting scrubbed. Um, obviously, VAERS data, the vaccine adverse events reporting, has exploded with reports. And uh, the Harvard study has shown that only 1%, Harvard stated, actually get reported. And we're in the thousands of deaths from it. Um, I personally have had patients that... Uh, one woman was just an hour and a half past being vaccinated and um, she was seizing and she had never seized in her life before. So was that the vax? I can't say. I mean, her husband actually asked. He said, is this from the vaccine? And I said, I, I don't know, because that's the truth. Yeah. Um, but it's suspicious. And then just recently again, and, and I've had, you know, people in my own circle that have had reactions, everything from strokes to uh, one 14 year old young man was bleeding out of his feet spontaneously within 24 hours of the shot. Yeah. Some weird stuff. eh? And and wouldn't that be like, let's look at that. We need to go and investigate it and figure that out. There's another pandemic of bleeding feet happening right now. We got to check it out. (laughs) Well, and he ended up going to the hospital and ended up, uh, his blood work was crazy. Like he was, they were struggling to bring everything back into line for him. Um, another guy I know 50 years old, good shape, healthy, had a stroke. Um, I had another patient who was in good shape and these were her words to me. I'm, I'm not uh, putting anything into her mouth. She said that it was that darn vax 
She said uh, within a couple of weeks of getting it, she started getting tingling in her feet. Didn't think anything of it, just thought, oh, that's weird, but it'll go away. Um, between that time and the time when I connected with her, she had had, in her words, every test under the sun. And they had said, it's not MS, it's not this, it's not that. It's They had narrowed it down and they were calling it a neuropathy of some kind. And now she was uh, numb to the knees and it was progressing up to her hips slowly. And they were, they were treating her. They were doing things to try and slow it down. Um, but she said, it's the, like, it was the vax. She said, I was healthy prior to this. I had no issues. And now, now she's using a walker and sits oh with her God. feet up all day because her legs are swelling so badly that she has to sit with them up. And so, I mean, there have been things that as a practitioner, you look at and you go, I can't that say 100%. Happening. But yeah. they shouldn't be happening. Yeah. And in in, in populations, uh, I mean, pericarditis, seen that. Um, and of course, I have friends in the medical community and they're reporting those things as well, that there's, you know, 41-year-old male comes in with uh, heart pain and he gets diagnosed with pericarditis and he's two weeks post-shot. And you're like, okay, well, that's a little odd. You know, not that it doesn't happen. It does happen, but not in the numbers that we're seeing. So Again, where are we with the open debate? Where are we with the censorship? Yeah. Because the censorship is still happening. So if there wasn't the censorship, what would this look like? I think it would be, it would, it would give everybody the opportunity to look at all the data and to make their determination based on the data, not just based on what mainstream media keeps pushing. That's well said. I'm glad you, and, and that is the crux, isn't it? And, and that would be your position then is informed consent, bodily autonomy. Let's just maybe wrap this up with, uh, for the freedom discussion here of freedom to, to look at the options, use mm -hmm. your own critical judgment. You know, your body, cause as you said, our bodies are all different. Our health statuses are different. And so we should be, if we're going to be responsible citizens, our responsibility doesn't just start with whether we t wear a mask or get a shot or do whatever. It's, it starts with a lifestyle choice that you're going to take care of yourself and inform right. yourself so that you know what's right. best for you. Cause everybody's different, right? So right. would you say then the best, maybe the best argument out there right now is let's talk about the freedom to choose. Let's talk about the Nuremberg code. Let's talk about the charter rights. Let's talk about my body, my choice, whatever people want to say. It's you, there's responsibility that comes with that, but we Absolutely. shouldn't be installing policies and building a medical dictatorship essentially uh, right. that is deciding for you. And it might actually lead to a debilitating injury or even worse if you follow that advice. Whereas if you do have all the data and we have the, uh, this, this uh, censorship taken away and people can see it all clearly, then right. we let people decide what's the best way. Right. Absolutely. And I mean, even in my own family, there's, there's division, right? Like, I mean, when, when can you say you agreed with your wife on everything, right? I don't yes. agree with my husband on everything. No. So, but I still love him and I still support him. And every patient that calls 911 and I happen to be their paramedic, I don't care whether they're vaxxed or unvaxxed. I'm happy to treat them regardless. Um, I've been called to treat people that have been driving drunk and have 
I guess I should say, allegedly driving drunk and right. caused an accident that's killed somebody. And I've had to call those people dead and say, yeah, we're not, we can't do anything for them. And now I'm taking the person who's responsible for that to the hospital. I've had homicides where I'm pretty sure this person has just killed that person. And now I'm responsible for taking care of them. We do that. We do that. Even when it hurts our hearts to do that, right. we do that. And, and that's what we should be doing in this situation is not making it a vax, non-vax. We're all people. We all deserve respect. We all deserve, we all deserve honor. And I will continue to treat anybody regardless of their VAC status, regardless of their health status, whether they've taken care of themselves or not taking care of themselves, whether, yeah, I mean, and there'll be people that watch this and disagree with me. I support their right to disagree with me. That's part of what a free country is. So I'm okay with that. You have a different opinion than me. You think we should just all get vaxxed. That's, that's fine. But freedom needs to come into play in all of that. There needs to be, like you said, body autonomy and my ability to say, you know what? I look after my body. My body's already seen COVID probably multiple times. And here I am standing strong. So am I more likely to transmit it to somebody else? No. Is it greater chance that I will have a better immunity if I get the vax? I don't believe so. And until you can prove to me, A, that I won't suffer any harm from getting it, um, or that it has a net benefit to me, why would I get it? Right. So I think we all need to honor each other's decisions. We all need to respect that we live in this great country that we've all been able to take for granted our freedom. And we need to understand that our, that we are free, that we do have those choices, but that every choice that we make has consequences. And I wish I could say that we could opt out on consequences, that we could create somehow a space for no, 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 just do this and there'll be no consequences. But every decision that we make has consequences. I love my job. I love the opportunity to speak into people's lives on a tough day and to intervene in a positive way um, and to care for people. And I hope I have the opportunity to keep doing that. Um, and I'll continue to work on my mental health and physical health and emotional health. And I will continue to honor my co-workers and my patients and my family members that disagree with me and and I think that that's the key in moving forward is we have an opportunity and the opportunity it's good and it's got incredible benefit and we need to not see the vax or the vax passport as our savior um, was never designed to be can't be won't be but we're humans and we have incredible creativity and 
love and opportunity. And now's our chance to step out and to keep moving forward in that love and in that acceptance. And, and then what's going to come from that is wisdom. If we allow open debate and we allow open discourse and we trust that with the information that we can make wise decisions, we can't fail. Jennifer, you are, man, you're bringing a grown man to tears here. Jeez, this is, <laughs> that was so important what you just said. You're a guardian angel. You're a warrior woman. And I have nothing but respect for you. Um, and just you've just done an amazing job of coming out here and being a courageous soldier for the truth here. And that's really what this is. Is we On this show, I don't know I have the truth. I'm trying to seek it. I'm trying to find it because I know that, that the truth about health, the truth about life, the truth about what's going on, that's the only way forward. We can't keep living in an illusion of security, in an illusion of safety, in an illusion of health, uh, in an illusion of freedom. We need the real thing. And, and that's what I'm after. And I can see and feel that that's what you're after. And I'm so grateful that Canada... I love this country. I, I, my, I born and raised here. Both sides of my family fought in the wars. Um, going back, and you know, it just it it's, it kills me to see what's going on. But at the same time, you're right. This is the opportunity because if we can at least get people to where you're talking about, we can we can bridge these divides. We can heal these divides. We can heal this trauma traumatic experience we've all gone through. In my opinion, largely. Uh, contributed to by this mass disinformation campaign of spreading fear, hysteria, paranoia, division, uh, which is the opposite of health. It's the opposite of what it is to be human. It's the opposite of freedom. Okay. And so people yeah. need to see that. And then we can have as responsible, grown-ass adults, we can have discussions, we can have debates, we can, we can work this out amongst ourselves. We don't need to have you know, micro sensors in everything with cameras, you know, are taking, throwing it into some artificial intelligence machine somewhere so they can block you on social media because your opinion, it's like, this is getting insane. So we need these voices of reason to bring us back to sanity again. And you have just done an incredible job. I'm so glad and honored that you chose this platform to come on and share this. You are welcome here anytime, as is anybody uh, that wants to come out and share their truth. Uh, was there anything we missed, Jennifer, that you you, did, you didn't you didn't cover that you wanted to say? Um, can we talk about courage? Please, you have the floor. <laughs> um, it takes courage to stand up, and I think a lot of people are sitting back in the fear, and I get it. Um, there's a lot at stake. And there's a lot on the table and there's a lot of information and there's a lot to go through, to, to kind of sort through, to think through. But when fear is what is driving you, you will always make the wrong decision. Fear always drives us to make the wrong decision. And so if I can encourage your listeners just to, I mean, I have faith. So that's what helps me deal with fear. And this has brought a lot of fear to a lot of people for a lot of reasons, in a lot of ways. And courage is not 
the action in the absence of fear. Courage is what we do when we are afraid. And we all have the opportunity to do the courageous thing and to step forward. And I hear from a lot of people that I'm just one person. Like, what, what can I do, right? But the truth is, is that every person has an opportunity for impact. Everybody has an area of influence. And if all of us can set aside fear and instead move forward, we will find wisdom. Because if you seek it, you will find it. And courage will rise. And hopefully me standing up and saying, hey, you know what? There's more reason to have courage than there is to have fear. Um, can help other people to take that breath and to go maybe maybe turn off mainstream news. Uh, I mean, that's one of my coping mechanisms, but it doesn't have to be everybody's. Um, but there's a great opportunity to have courage right now and to know that every one of us has power. And in what's going on, if everybody just took that breath took an opportunity to seek out the wisdom and then took a step, this thing would be done in no time. And I think what's going to come out of this that's going to be really good is that I'm hoping this is gonna blow off the walls, blow out the walls of some of the things that are established in this society. Um, I think we need a shakedown in a lot of areas. I think we need a shakedown mm -hmm. in politics and medicine. Yeah. And I think we need people to step back and to go, okay, so this is normal. Well, it might be normal, but is it really the best we can do? Because we have so many creative, intelligent people in our society. And right. I think that there's an opportunity to restructure, reevaluate. And I think a lot of us go along with a lot of stuff just because we're tired we're frustrated we're fatigued we're scared we're but if everybody can pause and just say what are my values what is important to me am i actually doing something about those things that are important to me am i speaking to my school council about how my kids are being educated am i just following the typical medical care, or am I actually seeking what might be best for me? Am I my own patient advocate? I mean, I work really hard to be an advocate for my patients that I pick up. Um, and I Oh, I think we just disconnected there. Just give her a second, guys. I just noticed her signal went to zero here. She should pop back in a second. Let's see. I don't know if you can hear me, Jennifer, but your uh, your signal just went down. Uh, might help to just kind of log back in. Wow, this is so good. This is this. I just so resonate with what Jennifer's saying. I can't even. I'm I'm vibrating here. I don't know if you can see it. I'm like I'm like that Jack Nicholson meme when he's like, <laughs> "That's me." The whole show, amazing. Uh, let's see if she, yeah, she's probably going to call back in here. Just give her a sec. The only thing I can add to what she's saying, cause she's just already saying everything that I'm thinking. Um, 
is if you're not sure who to trust right now, because this is the one thing that we talk about, right? Is, well, we've got these people here saying this, we've got these people here saying that. If you're, if you don't have that foundational courage and inner constitution within yourself, you will always be in doubt of yourself. You will always doubt your own mind. You will always doubt your own intuitive voice. So fostering that courage is something that will help you in all areas. And it's what allows you to stand when other people won't. And then you will be that light to them. You will be the beacon that says, hey, it is okay to have courage right now. And that's what people need right now because everybody's been scared into a corner. And so if you don't know who to trust, trust the courageous. Identify who are the people right now that are speaking out, which doctors, which experts, which people in your life are speaking, and they have everything to lose by speaking, but they're speaking anyways. They're speaking their truth, even if they have everything to lose. Um, those are the people I trust, the people that have something to lose by sharing their truth. The people that are telling you a narrative and telling you a story and telling you what you need to do that have all the flashing lights behind them, have all the support of the status quo and the crowd and the media who are getting paid to say what they're saying, who are, you know, they don't have anything to lose because they're in the favored group. Those are the people that I immediately question personally. So I believe in trusting the courageous, but Jennifer, there you go. You're back. Welcome back. <laughs> you hear me? Okay. I can hear you. Can okay, you see me? Perfect. Yes. Yes. I was just, what you were saying was just such bombshells of truth. <laughs> I just loved it so much. I was just adding, I was telling people, speaking of courage, if you're not sure who to trust, trust the courageous, trust the people that it takes courage for them to speak their truth. That's why I trust you. That's why I trust uh, I had, I've had so many amazing people, a police, a Colonel, uh, Bulford or Corporal Bulford came on from Mounties for Freedom. I had, you know, I've had Denny Rancourt who has been completely deplatformed. He was one of Canada's, you know, he's a top scientist here. I, I trust the people that are losing by saying what they're saying and they've got evidence to back it up because it takes courage rather than the people that are getting paid and the red carpets being rolled out for them. And they're just the approved official message. I, I, that's where I have my doubts. So for me, it's trust the courageous. Yeah. Sorry. Apparently I was waxing long, but, uh, I was just talking about advocating and just saying, you know what, we need to advocate for each other. We need to, yes. um, I mean, I, that's my job when I'm at work, but when my family's in hospital, I'm advocating for them. I'm in there asking, you know, what's going on? What's the plan? How can I help? all that sort of stuff. And as soon as we start advocating for each other, instead of fighting each other, instead of um, drawing the divisions and deciding that if you, you know, you, you're vaxxed, you're unvaxxed, you're masked, you're unmasked, you're, you know, out enjoying a beautiful sunny day or playing at the park with your kids, therefore you must be a granny killer. Um, if we can put all that aside and we can advocate for each other and, Put each other ahead of the narrative then we've already won and agreed as soon as we can do that then it turns the tide of everything because as soon as people stop latching on to the newest soundbite um i mean and hey if the soundbite's legit and it's got some truth behind it great latch on you know spread it around um 
but seek out truth. Don't just sit there and let it flow into your living room and, and fail to check and see if there is wisdom in it and check and see if it is true. Check and see if there's another side or another narrative. If somebody, and it's not me, like it's, I'm not saying that I'm the one with the wisdom, but there are so many anesthesiologists and pulmonologists and uh, immunologists and pathologists, Ryan Cole. I mean, that man's amazing too, stands up and yes. says, these are the lab slides of the vaxxed versus the unvaxxed. This is what we're seeing. This is what we're seeing in our country. I'm seeing, you know, so these are the people, look for them. They're there, they're speaking out. They're just getting censored. And in this country where we are supposed to be free, we are free, but we're free to search out what the actual truth is. So, so I just like to encourage everybody to don't freak out we're doing good. We're in a free country. And this, if this was a huge pandemic that was going to take us out, it had taken us out already of that. I'm sure I'm still showing up for my shifts. I'm still following the format and doing what I'm told. Um, love my job, love looking after people. I'll keep doing it as long as they let me. And, uh, but we're winning. I mean, we got nothing to be afraid of. So I still run into people that are freaked out because, oh, I might get COVID. It's airborne. If, hmm. if you've been breathing in the last two years, you've come in contact with COVID. So yep. it, it's not time to freak out. It's time to realize that whatever it is, we're managing it and enjoy life. It's what we got. I love it. It, it makes me think of this um, Hicks and Gracie quote. He's a martial artist he said fear doesn't stop death mm -hmm. fear stops life yeah exactly and fear is the virus yeah and that's my expert opinion <laughs> <laughs> yeah jennifer yeah. you're a treasure in this i'm so glad that we connected and uh please stay in touch and if you ever have anything else you want to update us with this platform is always open to you um i just want to thank you so much for your courage and your strength and your experience and coming on here and just telling it like it is, uh, it's, it's going to benefit a lot of people. So a massive extension of gratitude to you My and, pleasure. um, anything I can do to support you, let me know. Okay. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Uh, we're going to leave it there folks. Thank you so much for tuning in. This was an incredible interview. So please share it out far and wide and, uh, help us get this word out there. It's needed. This is the antidote to fear. Knowledge and truth is the antidote to fear. And so let's go and fight that battle. Truth wins in the end. So thank you, Jennifer. Thanks, everybody, for signing in. I'll catch you guys again soon. Cheers, everybody.